I'm Melanie Ho, author of Beyond Leaning In, Gender Equity and What Organizations Are Up Against. It's a different kind of business book based in research, but told as a novel and designed to spark discussion and change about gender equity in the workplace. Thank you for joining this discussion as my co-host Carla Hickman and I talk about the challenges that women continue to face at work that are too often only discussed behind closed doors. Well, welcome everyone. Today on Beyond Leaning In, the podcast, we're going to talk about allyship across generations. This is Carla Hickman. I'm joined as always by my friend and the novelist, Melanie Ho. Now, Melanie, we've always liked hearing your sort of behind the scenes as you were writing the novel, and I'm interested in the reactions. I think the book's interesting because not only are the characters spanning multiple generations in turns all the way up to the C-suite, but your readership also spans generations. So how have they received the book and what's it like trying to write when you know so many different people are going to engage with the text? I definitely had in my head as I was writing the book, all different kinds of readers across genders, across generations, across different kinds of industries. What did I want them to think? What kind of journey would they go on across Beyond Leaning In? So I think of the first audience that I had in mind was essentially myself. As I was writing this book, a woman in my 30s advancing the corporate ladder and just trying to make sense of the world around me. And when I talk to women of that kind of demographic, I think the response I'll get is that it has helped give frameworks to their experience. What about older generations of women, Gen Xers, who will be happy we're acknowledging them because they are classically left out when we talk about generations? But what about the older Xers and even boomers who've engaged with the book? For those who are earlier in their careers, or for some of the male readers, there's this question of, well, does this book just depict one really, really bad workplace? This isn't real. And yet the older or just more tenured in the workplace a professional woman is, the more likely they are to say to me that they have experienced or seen pretty much every single instance of gender bias that's in the book. After that, though, there are often very different emotional reactions. For some of the older female readers, there's this relief. It's almost like, yeah, it's time to push back that. I don't want younger generations to have to go through that. I'll say in other cases, though, there's a little bit of defensiveness. Previous generations had to do what they did. And some women have said to me they had to examine their own defensiveness. I've also had some women of previous generations who have said to me they're not really interested in reading a book called Beyond Leaning In, that they feel like that is undermining the work of Sheryl Sandberg, which even though I say in the book and in the previous podcast episodes, it's beyond leaning in. It's not against leaning in. It's about the fact that we need to go further, but that lean in has been so important for so many women that the idea of going past it actually is something that can make people feel uncomfortable. It's really hard to to generalize a generation, to take tens of millions of people and paint with a broad brush. But I do think about the workplace for millennials and now for Gen Z and how expectations have ratcheted up. They're living in the post-Great Recession and the post-pandemic employment environment. It has brought a new sense of responsibility. As you said, they've become managers much sooner. They're dealing with distributed and virtual workplaces. And you and I are zennials. There's this new term going around that we're supposed to be jeering geriatric millennials, which whoever (laughs) has coined that uh, definitely needs a branding class. I'm not accepting it. I reject that phrase. But as a zennial, you're sort of living in between the two. So I can resonate with both that Xer and millennial perspective. 
I am curious though, what about your Gen Z readers? And I know that's important for today because we'll be joined by a Gen Z reader who had some really interesting things to say about Beyond Leaning In. Well, first for folks who don't like the term Xennials, which is just spelled X-N-E-L and is that group that's in between millennial and Gen X. I also like the terms Oregon Trail Generation. And there's also the Jared Leto generation, which also works very well. (laughs) So Gen Z is an interesting one because I'll say that when I wrote Beyond Leaning In, I thought about it as a book for millennials, Xers, and boomers. I didn't really think about Gen Z as much because the book is really about women who are rising in management and getting into senior positions for the first time. And as I started to talk to early readers and also folks in educational roles, Gen Z was a point of debate because some of the readers I talked to and educators I talked to said, women need to read this as early in their careers as possible. Male allies as well, but really thinking about helping women advance in their careers. That if a woman in college reads this, some folks said to me, even high school, This is a way for them to understand what they're going to be up against. And I would hear others debate the opposite, which is women and educators saying, no, actually, you have to think about when somebody's ready for a book. And some of the readers I talked to said that they had had a number of conversations with women in their 20s, just starting out in their careers, who don't believe any of this is going to happen to them. And I think all of these conversations have helped me think about How do we help women see some of the challenges even before they are going to face all of them? And so that's why I was actually really excited when our guest today, Alexandra Jacobson, contacted me after she had read the book. She's a Gen Z woman who's also the CEO and founder of an organization called Worked Up, which is a online community platform that is dedicated to supporting Gen Z women and helping them navigate the earlier stages of their careers. And and talking to Alexandra has taught me a lot about the challenges Gen Z women are facing and also made me feel excited. Let's give Gen Z women credit that even if they haven't experienced all of the things in the book, that they want to understand what they're going to face and that it's helpful for them to understand that. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing the discussion between you and Alexandra. Before we do that, we'll hear an excerpt from the novel. So can you set up the excerpt for us first? Yes. So this excerpt is from the point of view of Cassandra. She works in the learning and development department at our fictional company. And one of her assignments is to evaluate their internship program. So in this scene, we see her attending a meeting where assignments are given out to the interns, and she's starting to realize the opportunity gaps that exist between men and women and what they're assigned early on in their careers. So we'll listen to another excerpt from Beyond Leaning In, and then you'll hear Melanie's conversation with Alexandra, and then she and I'll be back at the end for more discussion. Cassandra brought her latte, into the weekly 9 a.m. finance meeting and took a space at the back of the large conference room. Thanks to everyone for welcoming our new interns, said the Associate Vice President of Finance, Lucille, who was presiding over the meeting from the head of the table. She looked at the notes on her tablet computer, which was housed in a smart medium brown leather folder. Cassandra didn't know Lucille well, but she did know that she had gone out of her way to mentor Rita, 
and was one of the first senior women to sign up anytime Cassandra and her HR colleagues needed someone to help with a Women in Leadership event or initiative. The group is already excited about their first assignments, said Lucille. Ethan is going to be doing financial analyses for one of our new launches. Paige is helping prepare the slides for a conference presentation a few members of the senior team are doing in San Diego, and Jessica will be helping to plan our leadership retreat. Cassandra glanced at Paige and Jessica, who happened to be standing a few feet away from her, close enough that she could hear them whispering. Ethan was at the other end of the room. That's nice for Ethan, whispered Paige. But weren't there more substantive tasks for us? Nope, the girls prep slides and plan events, muttered Jessica bitterly. I've tried asking for more substantive work, but was just told to be patient. Every time the tone I hear in response is like a combination of, isn't that cute, and don't get too big for your britches. I didn't even have the guts to ask, Paige admitted. So good for you. Do you think Ethan has more experience than we do? Maybe, said Jessica, but somehow I doubt it. Cassandra had looked at all the interns' resumes earlier, so she knew the answer. There was not much discernible difference in qualifications between Ethan, Paige, and Jessica. If anything, Paige was the standout of the three. Cassandra and her other friends, who worked in a wide range of industries, often talked about how these kinds of opportunity gaps for women in the workplace started early. Female stockbrokers made less than their male counterparts, mainly because they were assigned worse-performing accounts. In law, women and minorities were subject to what attorneys called the thin file, where there was less to evaluate on their road to partner because existing partners gave more significant assignments to associates with similar backgrounds and experiences. These opportunity gaps were often not intentional. Cassandra knew the finance department's leadership team. They weren't people who consciously thought men should do the financial analysis work and women should plan the parties and help with slides. That was the problem, though. The unintentional nature of these opportunity gaps made it even harder to root them out. In this case, it was Lucille, a female AVP, who'd made the assignments. Cassandra thought how often she'd heard Terry say that everything will be better for women once we're 50% of leadership teams. Obviously, women should be represented in the highest ranks. But in this case, having a woman in a leadership position did not wipe the problem out. And not for the stereotypical reasons often discussed. Lucille was no stereotypical queen bee who was out to get other women. She was an advocate for women individually and collectively. No matter how dedicated to the cause, both men and women could unwittingly reinforce gender gaps. Sure, this was just one assignment, but it was too easy to play the story forward. The experience that Ethan would gain was likely going to give him a set of impressive resume bullets and interview talking points that could help him land a job after college. Of course, Ethan would need to demonstrate his own talents, too. But from this very first assignment, he was being afforded the opportunity to do so in a way that women were not. Through this opportunity, Ethan would be interacting meaningfully with senior leaders at the firm. Paige and Jessica's assignments planning an event, preparing slides, weren't unimportant activities, 
but they weren't connected to the skills they'd aimed to gain by seeking an internship in this department. As Cassandra looked at these two younger women, she thought about how the opportunity gap continues to widen over the course of a career. The mentoring and experience that Ethan received through this one assignment would probably help him not only get his next assignment, at the company or elsewhere, but also to thrive at that assignment, since he'd come in with more practice and knowledge. Then, success at that next billet would open up even more doors, and so on. Success, experience, and mentoring would beget even more success, experience, and mentoring, all leading to greater skills and greater confidence, too. The Debras of the world had fought their way to overcome these kinds of opportunity gaps and worse, but Cassandra knew that she and her friends didn't want to just accept that, and it seemed like these interns, in their late teens and early twenties, were even less likely to do so. Welcome back, everyone. I'm excited now to be joined by Alexandra Jacobson. She is the CEO and founder of an organization called Worked Up. That's an online community platform that supports Generation Z women to help them navigate the early stages of their careers. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Alexandra, before we talk more about the excerpt we just heard, tell us a little bit about Worked Up and why you started it. So I started working in entertainment and when I started, I immediately threw myself into work. I wore overwork, stress, and overwhelm as this badge of honor and really started neglecting taking care of myself. And I developed unhealthy stress management skills. And I was walking around with this mentality that if I slipped up, made any mistake, I was done for. And my career trajectory would forever be affected. And the stress ended up getting so bad that I eventually wound up in the emergency room due to issues with my stomach and still dealing with chronic stomach issues today from untreated stress that had accumulated. And that was really when I realized that I couldn't continue down that path where I wasn't taking care of myself and where work had become my identity. And I had lost my sense of self. And I ended up leaving my job. And it was a very hard decision to make, but it was one that I knew I had to. And I spent a couple months trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, if I wanted to continue a career in entertainment. And then the pandemic hit. And mm -hmm. I started talking to my friends more about their experiences. They were dealing with these insane amounts of stress and were all sacrificing sleep and food in, in unhealthy ways. And I started realizing just how wrong this was, that this was the work culture that was being promoted. And I had a lot of time on my hands and I ended up interviewing over 200 women and Throughout these interviews, I kept hearing the same things that I experienced, crippling fear of failure, lack of confidence, internalization of gender bias experiences, and imposter syndrome, all contributing toward burnout. And that was really what made me think about a basis for forming a community of early career women to support one another. And 
give each other what I wish I had that reassurance that if you slip up, you're going to be okay. It's not just you who's feeling this way. And when I was talking to a lot of these women, one of the things I kept hearing as well was this feeling that they wish that they had some guidance from people who had made it or at higher levels to just tell them it's going to be okay and help guide them a bit more. And so that was how the mentorship program was born. So yeah, Worked Up was started during the pandemic. It's a pandemic baby, and we're really proud of the community that we're building right now. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's such an important message for people to realize and understand that workplace bias and stress actually have real impact on mental health, on physical health, and that it can be that kind of burnout can be long lasting. I think there's often a hope I hear from older generations that Gen Z women aren't going to face the same biases as previous generations did. But we just listened to an excerpt from Beyond Leaning In that's about how opportunity gaps still persist. I'd love to hear your reaction. What did you feel? What did you think about when you first read this scene? I love how you introduced the idea of the opportunity gap in this scene. It really shows a lot of the more insidious, more nuanced ways that the opportunity gap can operate in day-to-day interactions in the workplace and how it can operate under the surface a bit. Even if before reading this book, younger women can't exactly name what they're experiencing, they know it when they feel it. And it can be difficult when you aren't told that that is the type of gender bias to look out for. I think that it's very easy to then internalize and make it more about you as a worker and think more about your weaknesses and make it a you problem rather than a them problem. And so I think it is really important for younger women to read this book and to know the ways that gender bias can creep in. And when women and other underrepresented groups don't have equal opportunities to shine and grow, work itself can become gendered. And they're also often asked to volunteer for responsibilities that don't do anything to advance their career standing or development, often more office housekeeping. And this really does contribute to the stagnation of women at the entry level. So when women don't have equal opportunities for meaningful interactions, let alone building these types of relationships with men in positions to promote them, they're going to be deemed less ready for promotion than, say, men who have these stretch assignments on their resumes and through these projects have built more meaningful relationships with more senior men. So one of the things that Lean In and McKinsey found in their Women in the Workplace studies that they've been doing for the past five years is that progress was being made in getting more women into senior leadership positions. But what's really affecting the talent pipeline happens way earlier than the glass ceiling. It happens at the first promotion to manager. So from the entry level to manager, women are not getting promoted at the same rate as men. For every 100 men promoted to manager, only 85 women are, and that's even worse for women of color. The McKinsey and Lean-In study refers to this as the broken rung 
on the career ladder. And it's that broken rung that keeps women from advancing. I think what's really interesting about the broken rung is that it's the result of a combination of factors. There's formal factors, for example, what people are assigned, like we saw in the excerpt and like you and I have been discussing, but there's also informal culture. When you and I first met Alexandra, I was just really struck by what you'd said then about informal workplace culture. Yeah, definitely. I was working in entertainment. It's a more informal office setting. And so it's very common for people to walk right into more senior level executives offices and start shooting the breeze with one another. And one of the things that I noticed was that men felt much more comfortable going into the high upper tier level executive offices, whereas women waited outside until they got the okay to go in. And in my experience, I entered the entertainment industry on the heels of the Me Too movement. It was right after the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke. And it was during a time when there was a backlash to the movement in that a lot of men were anxious about how they responded and interacted with women. And that affected, I think, the more informal interactions that are very meaningful in the professional realm. You know, those are instances where you can develop that mutual trust and support. It's a really unfortunate, almost self-reinforcing cycle. And so there's the concept of in-group favoritism versus out-group bias. And it seems like there's a lot of that that was already going on in Hollywood and in all kinds of industries where men might be more likely to talk to younger men at the water cooler or stop by their cubicles because they remind them of themselves. And then the fear after the Me Too movement might lead them to do that even less with women than they might have otherwise. And so that leads the woman to internalize it, to wonder if it's them to feel like imposters and therefore wait at the door while the men just continue building that relationship. Mm-hmm. And so then it just keeps on going and going and going. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's why in so many of these women leadership webinars or conferences, the senior women who are interviewed so often say, learn to play golf, or that was the advice that they received. So many deals and decisions are primed, if not made in out of office, informal settings, or you know, now remote settings, I guess. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But those informal settings, I think, are so critical that that water cooler talk is so critical for developing that trust and that bond. So when you have that trust already established between, let's say, two men, when one of them, a senior man, has a high level project that he needs help on, who is he going to go to and ask for help? He'll ask the other people that he trusts. Well, in the excerpts we just listened to, it's not just the senior men who are reinforcing bias, we actually see a senior woman who is the one who's giving out the different assignments. And that's something you and I have talked a bit about is this sense of how do we have better allyship across generations and how can women of previous generations better support Gen Z? And you gave one example of women trying to be supportive by saying, hey, learn how to play golf. You know, that's something I think a lot of women are saying, why should we have to do that? I'd just love to hear what have you seen work well and what do you think could be better? Within organizations, having more women in senior leadership roles does have trickle-down effects. It can help break down 
stereotypes on women in leadership and encourage women at lower levels to pursue careers further and to seek out roles that they may not have otherwise considered and broadening women's professional imagination, so to speak. But still women lack powerful, high level, upper tier female role models. And this is really where sponsorship and mentorship comes in. Men often benefit from a wealth of mentors, but men typically mentor men. Studies show that women ask for mentorship less than men do, largely due to hesitancy, but also an uncertainty of where to look and and go for mentorship. And we found through our mentors that the women who do move up into senior management tend to be those who have had mentors and sponsors earlier on in their careers. And they had allies in leadership positions who played a critical role in directing big assignments to them, including them in important high-level meetings and advocating for their promotions, going to bat for them. And even women seen as high potential by their companies are still less likely than their male peers to receive sponsorship, and women of color are even less so. So it's very important for women to actively support the careers of other female employees and and for men to ensure that they aren't just mentoring people who look like them. Internal mentorship within organizations is so important. One of the things, though, that I love about your mission at WorkedUp is the focus on external mentorship as well. Can you talk a little bit about how you've structured that? So our program is cohort-based. So we match three to five early career women in the same industry and career stage together with a mentor in their industry to guide them through a six-month program. It's all virtual, and these meetings are very structured. We have a research-based, very collaborative and holistic curriculum that goes along with the meetings. And the curriculum is really meant to target both professional development, but also personal growth as it relates to professional development. And time and time again, we are hearing from different mentees that they were facing a certain challenge that week that they explored the topic. And it was the perfect time for this to happen. And they were able to get this peer mentorship as well and know that they weren't alone in what they were going through and also hearing how other women are processing and navigating similar challenges that they themselves are facing. So we really wanted to make sure that we had the peer mentorship component as well as the cross-generational mentorship component as well. I really love the focus on external mentorship. I think that sometimes there's a type of objectivity and also honesty and candor that can happen with these types of external relationships that are harder to do internally. I definitely agree. Having that sounding board where you can be open and honest is very important and having that safe space. One of the things that we hear from our mentors a lot is how amazed that they are with how open their mentees are so early on in the experience. And I don't think that that is true for a lot of employee resource groups and other mentorship programs where there are inevitably going to be whether explicit or implicit consequences to things that you say. 
A lot of what we've been talking about has always been a challenge for entry-level women. And I'm wondering what you think is different now for Gen Z compared to previous generations. We talked about the post-Me Too movement being one difference. Uncertainty might be another one. I think that there really is this generational anxiety for Gen Z and millennials that existed even before the pandemic. I mean, for one, now, obviously, the job market is hyper competitive. And if anything, the past year has made it abundantly clear that there's only so much you can plan for in the future. And going back to that uncertainty, when you think about when Gen Z, when they were kids, what they they were experiencing the Great Recession, and granted, maybe they didn't realize that what was going on, but many saw their parents struggling financially. Many saw siblings struggling with financial loans, and a lot of Gen Z people are strapped with huge financial debt and student loans right now. So there are these burdens on this generation, and now obviously with people recently graduating or about to graduate into, I don't know if we can call it post-COVID era yet, but this COVID world, that there is this huge level of uncertainty around what the future of work is going to look like and how to make a career plan when there is so much up in the air. And one of the things too is this generation was the first generation to grow up with smartphones and social media. And There is this extreme pressure, I think, that social media causes to fall into this comparison trap, for one. And there's this pressure to be on a certain timeline and to achieve certain things by X date. Otherwise, you're falling behind. And that pressure, I think, just contributes to this high level of stress and anxiety that this generation is feeling. I really loved how you put that in terms of these these dual forces that on the one hand, we have Gen Z that is facing and millennials facing this incredible amount of uncertainty. And at the same time, this incredible amount of pressure towards perfection and towards meeting the perfect timeline. And how do you do that amidst so much uncertainty? Another thing you've mentioned in a previous conversation that you and I had was how Gen Z and millennials are also very focused on political and social causes and how employers should be channeling that. One of the things that I do find really remarkable about this generation is the political and social power that they have. I mean, when you think about the power they've had in in gun rights, in climate change reform, they're not waiting for older generations to solve these problems for them. They're really taking matters into their own hands. And I think that they're going to continue doing that in the workplace as well. Gen Z is set to take over the the workforce over the next 10 years, replacing baby boomers and, and Gen X. And companies are going to have to figure out how to recruit and retain top Gen Z talent. And they're going to have to get on board with what this generation values. And that's work-life balance and commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and companies that have clear promotional paths. That's a huge thing that we're seeing through our mentees is how important having a clear upward mobility within an organization is in their decision to take on a role or accept a job because it has a level of security. 
the financial security and job stability. Another thing too is what I find really interesting about Gen Z is this growth mindset. So even though they have, it's a generation strapped with a lot of anxiety, it's also a generation that has this proclivity to self-learning and self-improvement. And one of the ways in which this manifests is through wanting more feedback and transparency from employers. And so that's also something that we really value within our program. We place a lot of value on the importance of feedback and the role in which it plays in your growth and your own improvement. One of the ways in which gender bias plays out in the workplace is actually that men receive much more constructive and valuable feedback than women do. And so for a generation that values feedback, I think that companies are going to have to figure out a way to train managers on how to give feedback effectively because it is so valuable in the growth and development of younger employees and how to give equal feedback to women and men. And here you talk, it strikes me that employers can do a better job just understanding what growth means. I'll say a lot of employers are scared to death because when they think about career pathing and they think about supporting junior staff with promotion paths, they are worried that we no longer have the world that we had several decades ago where companies felt like they actually had a very clear career ladder that they could say to an employee, you know, in three years, you'll reach this point. In five years, you'll reach this point. In 10 years, you'll reach this point. That because of that uncertainty that we're talking about, a lot of employers will say, I can't actually promise you the next step because I don't know what it is. And none of us know what it is. The world is changing so fast. And I think a lot of what you're saying actually gives them a playbook for Growth doesn't mean that you have to say to an employee that you will have exactly this job in X years. Growth is about investing in skill development and feedback and showing that you value a person and the skills that they can continue to bring to the organization. Alexandra, the last question we asked our guests is, what is one thing that you'll do differently after having read Beyond Leaning In? This is a really creative way of sparking conversations between men and women, men and men, women and women, gender non-conforming individuals. But we have to rethink how to engage men on this subject and make this a more regular conversation and coming through this lens of empathy and wanting to understand people and kindness, which I think your book really does promote. I think that that's one of the things that I'll take from this. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alexandra. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing to support Gen Z women. We will put a link to Worked Up in the show notes and also reference some of the great research that you talked about as well. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I have just listened to that same conversation between Melanie and Alexandra. I picked up in particular on some of the reactions that I have heard from other readers. And you picked up on this a little bit in the beginning, Melanie, on is this true to life? Are these just exaggerated for the purpose of a novel? Is this the worst possible workplace scenario that we could dream up? And I think the conversation with Alexandra, but also my own personal experience would tell me, 
Absolutely not. These might actually be on the mild side of the spectrum of things that happen on a daily basis in workplaces, in particular when it comes to opportunity gaps. I think some of that is intentional. It's that internalized bias about what an individual is ready for or capable of or can do that we need to learn to be self-aware of and examine. I think some of it is also just pattern and habit. People are moving quickly. They are trying to get things done. This particular excerpt in the book doesn't feel like an insidious or pernicious example of someone thinking less of the female interns than the male interns. It just feels like they were probably trying to get through the day. And the fact that the book and your conversation with Alexandra tees up how that then is going to have a ripple effect. It is going to compound and potentially make it harder for those young interns to establish themselves or get better assignments later on just really stood out to me. I didn't include anything in the book that was just a story I had heard once or seen once. Everything I included was because it was a scene that, you know, maybe the setting is slightly different, the players are slightly different, but it was the exact same scenario that multiple women across multiple industries had described to me and that there was also research backing it up. I also think it's another place where those generational perspectives really matter. And for Gen Z women to have the opportunity to learn from millennials and Xers and boomers about their experiences and maybe have a little grace with the women who have come before them that, you know, in an earlier episode, we talked about the fact that they had the big rocks to move. They move mountains to get women the place in the workplace that they have today. And now it's an opportunity for the next generations to come behind and continue to advance that work. But little acknowledgement for what they've done, I think is, is hugely valuable in these kinds of relationships. I think there are so many places where we just misunderstand each other and that there are things that were harder for boomers and are still harder for boomers and that have been and will be harder for every single letter in the alphabet generations X, Y, Z. And we really just need to understand each other's perspectives. I also love what you said earlier about how so many of these opportunity gaps happen because we're just all moving so fast and trying to get so much done. In the book, I give credit to the fact that we like to make fun of millennials saying that adulting is hard, but adulting is hard. The amount of things that managers and everyone in workplaces have to figure out every single day, we're moving fast. And because we're moving fast, it's these biases just kick in without us realizing it. Also, and I think this is hugely important because you have to be vulnerable to do it, but you need to be open enough with your direct reports and teams to say, I want the upward feedback. So if you see me constantly giving you the same kinds of assignments, or if you've expressed an interest in a particular project and we haven't made that happen yet, I want them to feel comfortable bringing that up with me so that we can talk it through. Because I'm, you know, a human like everybody else, and it's about creating that communication and trust and candor so that we can learn from mistakes and move forward. It's not about being perfect and never making them. I love that. It's acknowledging that other people are human. So we need to understand each other's point of view, but also acknowledging that we ourselves are human and we're not going to do everything correctly. And because of that, being open and vulnerable to finding ways to get feedback from people you trust and people you work with. 
I think that's one of those communal leadership traits that is really prized among millennials and Gen Z, as well as it's often typically ascribed to women in the workplace. It's important to me, and it's one that I like to just be vocal about and own as a senior leader in the firm, right? There's a certain level of vulnerability and owning your own mistakes that I think can feel scary, particularly for women who are more experienced than I am, who owning a mistake like that would have actually been a real career problem for them, right? They had to be tougher or perfect or not make those mistakes and failures. I'd like to hope that our generation of Zennials or Oregon trailers can make it a little more acceptable to talk about those things in the workplace openly. You know, growing up in the late 90s, there was this feeling of, okay, finally, women are having their day. Finally, we're calling attention to these issues. This is going to be better for us now than it was for generations past. And so I think for a lot of women of our generation, unlike generations before us, we grew up with higher expectations. We grew up thinking that not that the problems were solved, but that there was going to be this vast improvement. So as we've advanced in the workplace and we've seen that actually so many of the barriers are still there, I think there's this bigger crash because of that gap between reality and expectations. One of the things that I think I was most surprised by as I advanced in leadership and talking to other peer women have said has surprised them too, is that actually it gets worse as you move up the ladder for many reasons. One of the reasons is that gap between reality and expectations. Another reason is that the further you move up in an organization, the less likely it is that you have women above you, the less likely it is that you have a lot of women even at your level. So you are more often the only woman in the room. And then also the more senior you get, the more transparency you have into the careers of larger numbers of people at your own organization and at those of other peer women who you're probably talking to more about how you're all navigating your career to your friends at other workplaces. And so you realize that there's a prevalence to the gender biases and challenges that early in your career, you see your own experience and maybe one or two of your friends. By the time you're a senior manager at an organization, now, if you compare your experiences and those of your peers who are also senior managers, now you've got dozens, maybe hundreds of data points. So you just get a sense of how vast the problem is. And you feel compelled to do something about it. Yes. So you can't just <laughs> complain about it. You're in the senior leadership role. And so that burden of I'm experiencing it, I am living through it. I don't always have the tools to address it. And yet I am the person right now. It is on me to do something about it. I I appreciated that about Alexandra too, of just taking control and saying, this is not a situation that I am going to continue in. I'm going to just rewrite the rules. I think it's the question that I get most often in book talks. It comes down to this, how do you navigate feeling like you're trapped in the system as well as you're in a senior enough position that you're also responsible for the system simultaneously? I think that might speak to some of the generational differences as well is because while I can be an ally and speak to issues and share my personal experience, there are younger generations of workers who still look up and say, well, but you're part of that system now, right? And so mm -hmm. the expectations to take action are higher at a moment when the reality of what you're still up against is also, that to me is the big reality versus expectations clash for me. Mm -hmm. It's the, you're suddenly up against more but also have to try to solve more at the same time. 
Well, as you can tell, listening to Carla's and my conversations, we absolutely love hearing from readers. And I love hearing from readers over email, through social media, but I'm also dialing into book clubs. I, I don't know why I'm saying dialing. I guess I'm dating myself as a, a late exer, type person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we did still dial things, y'all. We did still dial things. Yes. So I am attending virtually book clubs as often as I can. So if any of you out there want to gather a group of your friends or family for a book club, visit my website and you can learn more and contact me there. Well, a big thanks to Alexandra and a big thanks to all of you, our listeners, those who are reading the book, sharing your perspectives and comments. We've got two more episodes coming up and we're looking forward to joining you right back here for the next one. Thank you all for listening. I'm Mel Nuho, author of Beyond Leaning In. Please buy the book on Amazon or through www.beyondleaningin.com where you can contact us and also learn more about the broader Beyond Leaning In conversation and community. This podcast is produced by Katie Sunku Wood at Studio Pod Media. Edits were made by Noda Lab. Music is by Mountain House. Please subscribe, rate, share, and get in touch with your ideas. Thank you.